Today, to say that it is a special day would be an understatement. It is a very, very special day as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. You know what uh, makes me smile when I come to church? Jody and I have this great uh, privilege to teach three-year-olds in Sunday school. And that just makes us smile every time we drive into church. These three-year-olds, um, they have their own personalities and their own dispositions that they bring to class. And I don't know if you've been around a three-year-old lately, but um, let me remind you, they don't have a filter. So everything that they say and do is the raw uh, themselves, and sometimes it'll crack you up and it'll draw them closer to you. And I think it's fair for me to speak on Jody's behalf and tell you that we have fallen in love with these three or just adorable it makes me smile when I'm driving into church to think about not only the impact we're having on them, but the impact they have on us. Because let me be clear, these three-year-olds, they have more of an impact on Jody and me than we will ever have on them. Jody and I love to go walking. We'll, we'll walk together almost every day. It's kind of our date time together. And as we're walking, we'll talk about these three-year-olds. We'll pray for them. We pray for their families. And we'll talk about the upcoming uh, Sunday school lesson, what the point of the lesson is going to be, and we'll sort of toss back and forth different teaching strategies that we want to use because uh, we want to make sure we're on point with them because uh, some topics get a little complex and you can overshoot them uh, developmentally. So uh, we'll talk about that. And it reminds me of a uh, Sunday school teacher that I learned about a few weeks ago who was also teaching three-year-olds. And it was a, fir a few weeks before Easter, and she wanted to teach them this uh, rather con complex topic on what it means to be free in Christ. And let's face it that there's a lot of adults who don't know what that means. What it really means to be free in Christ. And because you're here today, that's really what we're celebrating. And so if you've anybody before... Whether it's a three-year-old or it's a 13-year-old or it's a 30-year-old, you know that before you teach them a complex topic, you have to back up and you have to do some scaffolding. You have to build on prior knowledge. And so this teacher, this Sunday school teacher who taught three-year-olds uh, a few weeks before Easter, she thought she'd back up a little bit and she'd start with something relatively simple just to teach them what it means to be free. So she did this Sunday school uh, lesson on the 4th of July. Something that connected with their lives that they experienced before. And she taught them about what it means to be free and how we celebrate on this special day called July. How we celebrate our freedom. So she taught the students that on July 4th we celebrate the freedoms we have in the United States. The, the freedom to choose where we want to live and to choose what house we want to live in and where we want to work and what kind of car we want to drive and... And to celebrate these freedoms, uh, we oftentimes get together with our family and people we love, our neighbors, our friends, and we have picnics and barbecues and some have pool parties. And, and in the evening, we cap it all off by watching a beautiful display of fireworks. And so she did a little check-in with the students, these three-year-olds, after that lesson, and she asked them, do you know what it means to be free? And Brian, one of her students, walked up from the back, and he walked up to the front, he put his hands on his hips, and he looked at her, he said, I'm not free, I'm four. 
Well, obviously, Brian didn't get the message, and she knew she had a little bit more work to do with Brian before Easter, and she signed Brian um, this a little assignment for the uh, sunrise service at Easter, and the, and the assignment she gave him was to learn and recite this verse in Matthew 28, and if you want to turn to Matthew 28, we're going to be reading there in just a few minutes. She signed him the verse in Matthew 28, verse 6, which reads like this. He is not here, he is risen. So she assigned that to Brian, and she worked with him. She practiced with Brian as much as she could. And, you know, sometimes Brian nailed that thing. He got all the words correct. They lined up. It just sort of flowed out of his mouth. And then sometimes he'd practice it, and he'd just jumble it all up and kind of fumble it around. Well, uh, Easter morning came and the sunrise service came and all the kids came up in front, sort of like right up here. And Brian was in the front center. Everybody could see him and he could see everybody and in the front row of the pews. And um, she was directing her students and she could just tell that day by looking at Brian, he was not going to get this correct. He was going to fumble this thing. And so as she was looking at him, just before he recited his verse, she locked eyes with him. He looked at her, and she looked at him, and as they locked eyes together, she mouthed the verse, he is not here, he is risen. And Brian, you could, she could see the confidence build in Brian. He grabbed that microphone, and with all the gusto in the world, he said, he is not here, he's in prison. Well, he was, wasn't he? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being in this house of worship this morning with us. And thank you for your plan of salvation, for doing the Father's will and giving your life the ultimate sacrifice in place of us on the cross for our sins and the sins of all mankind. I thank you for this morning as we celebrate the power in your resurrection, giving us a transformed heart, giving us a renewing of our thinking, and giving us a hope of everlasting life. Thank you for the peace you give us in a world that is full of darkness, in dark times and trouble. And thank you for the transformative work you continue to do in our lives in the dark times of our lives. Help us to roll the stones away from our own hearts and to let you in. Lord, as the psalmist said, that as soon as we pray, it turns the tide in the battle. Help us this morning to be open and receptive as we read your word and we worship you, the great I am, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So Matthew 28 Let's read a few verses. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You know, since I was away, I've read and I've heard this account of the resurrection so many times, I can't tell you. I'm sure so have many of you. Every time I hear this or I read this account, I wonder, as my, I, I, I might be a little crazy, but I just want, my mind wanders, it just dives into this account, and I often wonder, what was it like on that morning? So I picture it sort of dark out. In fact, in John, we read that it was still yet dark when Mary came to the tomb. And so I picture it dark, maybe, I don't know, 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning. And it was kind of cool out, maybe around 60 degrees, sort of sweatshirt weather. But I also wonder, how, what was nature like in that garden where the sepulcher was? I kind of picture that the grass was sort of standing up straight, like it just received a spring rain and it was full of life that um, the flowers were blooming in, in more f- of a full bloom than they'd ever been blooming, that the leaves on the trees were just plump, almost as all creation was standing at attention, that the creator of the universe, the creator of this world, had did something that would change life forever. I kind of picture all the animals being very quiet, and then this earthquake occurs, But oftentimes when I read that or I hear that account, I think about it was dark. And I wonder, why wasn't it done like in the middle of the day? You know, after the fog lifted a little bit and people have had their coffee and got our day started, why wasn't the stone rolled away then? I don't know, my mind mind wanders like that. But then I read in the scriptures that that's not how God works. You know, as I read the scriptures, it becomes clear to me that God oftentimes starts his transformative work in the dark, not in the light. I think it's symbolic of how he does his work in our lives. And it seems a little backwards to us because we think that he's the light of the world. He's the bright and morning star. But you'll see over and over in scripture that he does his transformative work in the dark. Today, I just want to talk to you for a few minutes before some of the three-year-olds come up and sing a song with us. I want to talk to you about how God continues to work in the dark and in the darkness of our lives. And we should be encouraged by that today. If you go back to the book of Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, it reads that darkness was all over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was working. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. 
and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And here's what catches me. And there was evening, and then there was morning, and it was the first day. Did you catch that? You'd think that it would be the opposite. That God would start his, his work at, in the morning. Maybe like six or seven o'clock when the sun is up and the birds are chirping and kind of like I do my day. But he started his work intentionally. And we see this pattern in Genesis that it was the evening and then the morning. It continues, and there was the evening and the morning and the second day, and there was the evening and the morning and the third day, and the evening and the morning and the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. Again, I think it's symbolic of God working in the darkness and the dark times of our lives when we don't feel like there's any hope. We don't feel like there's any answers and that we're helpless. God's there working. In Exodus chapter 12, the institution of the Passover, the Israelites had been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 plus years. They were in darkness. The final plague, if you remember, that God sent and executed throughout the land of Egypt was the death of the firstborn, both human and animal. And you read in Exodus 12, it reads like this, on that same night... I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And it reads, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. But after that, it was in the morning that they were set free. And God led them out of Egypt into a new land, into a new life. A pattern of his transformational work in the darkness, leading men into freedom and into the light. Acts chapter 16, we read about Paul and Silas. The Sadducees didn't like Paul and Silas. They considered them to be agitators, creating a disturbance. So they threw them in prison, and they had to put them in the most, the deepest, darkest part of that prison. All odds were against Paul and Silas. Their feet were chained up, if you remember. But people don't have the final say. God has the final say. He has the majority. It seemed like we'd never probably hear about Paul and Silas again after that. But oftentimes in the dark times of our lives when there's huge setbacks like that, we have to remember that they're actually setups. They're setups for God to do miraculous, wonderful things. In Acts chapter 16, it reads like this. Peter received these orders. He put Paul and Silas in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. And a few verses later, it reads that when it was daylight, 
The magistrate sent the officers to the, jail, officers to the jailer with the order to release those men. And the jailer told Paul and Silas that they could leave to go in peace. You see the turn of God working in the darkness and bringing people into the light. I think about just this past Friday when we celebrated and, and remembered the darkest day in history. Good Friday, the crucifixion. And in Matthew 27, it reads that from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus cried again, it says he gave up the ghost. Do you know what he cried again? We find that in John, when Jesus cried out again, he cried out, it is finished. You know what's interesting? You know what he didn't cry out? I am finished. He cried out, it is finished. Isn't it interesting that the last part of the work of God's plan to finish all that separated us between him and us was done in the darkness. What was finished was everything separating us from God's love. But Jesus isn't finished. Even though it was dark, the darkest day in history, Jesus knew that the dawn of a new day was coming, that this morning was coming. Again, I think these scriptures are symbolic of how God often does his transformative work in the dark times and in the darkness of our lives. And we should be encouraged today because there's a lot of darkness around us, isn't there? There's a full war going on in our world. And there's rumors of wars. There's an epidemic that we're still dealing with. There's economic crashes all the time. There's political divide and there's polarization in our country pulling us apart. And Satan loves division. There are mass shootings almost every week. It doesn't matter if it's in a subway, or if it's in a, a mall, a shopping center, an office place, a school. There's an uptick, an uptick in the number of people who struggle with mental health challenges than, the, than there ever has before. People who are anxious and depressed and have acute stress. There are people who feel extreme helplessness and hopelessness. I work with a lot of schools in one of the of high schools around the country is not what kids are going to wear to prom. It's whether they're going to kill themselves or not. That's the number one concern of high schools across the country. People are struggling with darkness in their lives and darkness in the world. And they're looking for stability and their peace and tranquility, but they're looking in the wrong place. You see, you can't find peace on Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram. You can't find it there. It's as if these people have taken huge stones and rolled them in front of And maybe you have today, and maybe I have today. 
Friends and counselors and therapists and doctors, they can be great, but they cannot bring you peace, transformational peace that God does. You know that transformational work that God does, he renews our thinking. I call it stinking thinking. He calls us to renew our thinking every day. He gives us a new perspective on our lives and on life. He calms our fears. He gives us peace. He grounds us. He stabilizes us when things are changing and shifting around us. He gives us, he puts a spring in our step, a joy in our hearts, and a song of praise on our lips. And hey, you know who else could do that? Nobody. No one and no thing. Can't do it. A few years ago, um, I had the chance to travel to India. And have you ever seen um, a tomb of a king? I did. I went to India with a group of students from Bradley. We spent two weeks there. And while we were there, we had a chance to go to one of the seven wonders of the world, of the new world. You probably heard of it. It's a tomb. It's a tomb of a king. It's called the Taj Mahal. And it's in Agra. It's just outside of uh, New Delhi, a few hours. What was interesting is we left New Delhi on a train and we traveled out to the countryside, uh, to Agra. Um, we left all the smog and uh, all of that in the, in the city and we traveled out to the countryside and it was imped and it was dirty. In fact, one of our classmates said as he was looking out the train window, he says, it looks like somebody turned the clock back of time about 50 years and puked all over this place. And then we got to Agra and there was nothing much with Agra. We're like, what, what, what's in here? But I'm telling you that when I turned the corner and I saw the Taj for the first time, it literally took my breath away. It was so beautiful. I had heard that saying before. It's never happened to me before. But when I first saw the Taj, it just absolutely took my breath away. It was beautiful. It is beautiful. The story about uh, behind the Taj is that in the 1600s, there was a king, and he had several wives, but there was one that he loved the most. In fact, they had 14 children together, and during the birth of the 14th child, his wife died, and he loved her so much that he commissioned the building of this beautiful structure, this tomb, in tribute to her. And it's made out of pure white marble. In fact, I brought a little bit home with me. And it took 20 years to build the Taj. It took about 20,000 laborers to build it. A thousand elephants, because they take these elephants down into the jungle hundreds of miles, and they'd quarry out the marble, and these elephants would haul it back. And then the stone workers and the engineers and the architects and everybody worked together to put the Taj together. What's so beautiful about the Taj is that when the sun goes through the sky, it changes color. 
And embedded in the white marble are beautiful gemstones. And Riley, if you could show the next slide, that um, the king and his queen are buried there. And as I was standing of the world, I thought to myself these thoughts. This may be one of the seven wonders of the world, but I know what's the number one wonder in the world. And I was looking at the burial place of this king. Here's what I thought. This king cannot bring me hope. He cannot bring me peace. He cannot save me from my sins. He cannot comfort me in times of trouble in the dark times of my life. He can't bring me out of the darkness into the light. You know why? Because he's dead. And he's still there. But my king is not there. My king is risen. And there is nothing and no one that comes close to him. And that is what we celebrate today, isn't it? His resurrection gives us hope of passing from the darkness into the light of a new day and a new life. In John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Revelation, Jesus said, behold, I am making all things new. Hope we have. Our Lord comforts us in our fear. He brings hope to the hopeless. He brings new life and purpose out of nothingness. And he longs to transform your heart and my heart if we give him permission to. You know, some of us haven't done that yet. Some of us have rolled a stone, so to speak, in front of our own heart, and we won't let him in. Today, we have the opportunity to roll that stone away from our heart and let him in to do his work. But Jesus can't get into our heart if a stone's in front of it. So today is the day for us to roll that away. 